Good morning, family. Uh, this is a very special morning when we can welcome Pastor Brian and Kaz as their first service here this weekend as our new lead pastor. We're so excited to have them, we welcome them here. And uh, this is something that we've been looking forward to for a number of years. You know, Ashby uh, uh, prayed for Pastor Ron, and we know the transition that he's we're going through and the difficulty, but... Um, it, even before his illness, uh, the elders uh, have been talking about planning for the eventual transition from Pastor Ron to his successor. So this is not something totally unexpected, but it had to be accelerated due to Pastor Ron's Ill illness. So uh, as most of you know, at the beginning of this year, we convened a search committee uh, that was chaired by Kevin Quinn, uh, one of our elders. And then uh, through that process, we interviewed a number of candidates, did a, a, a wide search, and Brian emerged as our leading candidate. So as you recall, I believe it was in May, we brought him and Kaz over to visit with us so that you could all have a chance to meet with them, get to know them better. And uh, that went well, as we all know. And then that was followed by the congregation vote uh, to confirm him. And so that was very, very positive, and they, your, you, your, our church family, confirmed it very positively, which was really wonderful. They also prayed and received the calling to come here, which was very, very excellent. So with that, then, we, you know, we're here to officially uh, commission Pastor Brian as our new lead pastor uh, and uh, look forward to his ministry. So... On behalf of the elders and your church family here, and in the name of Jesus Christ, we commission you officially as our new lead pastor. This morning is also significant because it's the official passing of the baton from Pastor Ron to Pastor Brian. And Pastor Ron wanted me to read this note to Brian, uh, basically charging him as a new lead pastor. Dear Brother Brian, as you step into this pulpit to share God's word with his church, may the Spirit of God anoint you to proclaim the word of God. May you always point people to Jesus, who alone is able to save us from sin and transform us into servants who bring the hope and healing of Christ into a desperately needy world. May your words, flowing from his word, be a fountain of blessing, refreshing both yourself and all who hear, may you be strengthened and encouraged continually by the prayers of this, your church family, as they are built up by your prayers and your preaching. Pastor Ron Arnold. Okay. Okay. With that, uh, Pastor Dan is going to lead us in prayer uh, for Brian and Kaz. Well, church family, um, we're going to do this together. So why don't we all stand? We're going to affirm and confirm Pastor Brian and Kaz in this moment. And um, I would ask that you stretch out your hand, too. And our elders and our pastoral staff will also be laying hands on Brian and Kaz. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, from whom all blessings flow, we ask that you pour out your blessing on Pastor Brian and his family, that he may be a wise and faithful shepherd, feeding, guarding, and guiding this church family that he is called to care for. I pray that he would continue to feel the support, love, and partnership from his church family so that the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, 
grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. When I first heard that story or the letter that um, Pastor Ron wrote, it uh, was honoring and very affirming. But more than that, what it's created is just this weight on my shoulders. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Because uh, for a number of reasons. One is uh, Pastor Ron is a legend, right? And, and, and he has big shoes to fill, right? I guess, or I have big shoes to fill now. And to hear something like that was very encouraging and honoring. But yet the weight of responsibility is definitely something um, I feel. And I do not take this job lightly. do not take this calling lightly. But rather I come as a servant to serve. I am the new lead pastor, but what that means is I'm the new lead servant. Jesus says, I've come to serve, not to be served. And so as I enter into this time of um, ministry, this new ministry, I'm excited to serve all of you. When my first 13 years of ministry, I was uh, in the church world, and we got to serve as um, youth pastor, pastor student ministries, associate pastor of outreach, meaning we got to do so different things, work on missions, uh, opportunities locally as well as internationally. Uh, we would team up with the school district, so if there was needs with the school district, we would team up and partner with the public school systems when there was needs, and, um, and I loved doing that. And then being part of one of the larger youth groups in the area there was just exciting to see middle schoolers and high schoolers, hundreds of them, just thriving and learning about the Lord. That was just amazing and an exciting part of what I got to, got to do. And then the, the latter part of my ministry in the church there was I got to start a young adult service. Um, uh, so we had three services in the morning. The fourth one at night was called The Gathering. And so we would start a young adult service uh, Sunday nights there. And then, and then for the past almost eight years prior to this, I was in the university world. I was the director of campus ministries, uh, campus pastor at Hope International University. And there uh, I'd spend six, uh, there'd be six, seven trips or so in Mexico leading college students on mission trips. And the cool part about what I got to do is see the future of the church right there in front of my eyes. I got to see these college students 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25-year-olds excited to make a difference. And actually, check this out, believing they can make a difference. And, and they would go out and do some of the craziest things and make mistakes. And it was exciting because we were there to say, it's all right, and help them get right back up to keep going. And you'll hear stories about that coming up. But it was an, uh, exciting to see that. I say all that because as we talk about um, youth, sometimes we look at the youth and they, we say, oh, or they're, they're just lazy or they just whatever. But I'm here to say is that the youth of our future, I mean, there's a lot of youth, and we're in good hands with many of them. And to see the heart and passion students have for Jesus and things that they could do and we're doing and we're starting to do, oh, it's exciting to be a part of. But let's talk about unity. I think it's appropriate to start my first inaugural sermon on, on unity, on what unites us. Unity is a good thing, and when everything is working great, 
we feel great. When our relationship with our partner is going good, we feel good. When, when our relationship with our boss is good and our boss is not being cantankerous, <laughs> things are good. But when there is disunity, ah, uh, you feel it. You think about it. You go home, it's in your mind. You wake up in the morning, it's in your mind. Why? Because unity is so important. However, we live in a world where everything is going against unity and everything is trying to divide us. We live in such a polarizing world today, don't we? So let's talk about some of the things that divide us just for a moment. One is sports. How many sports fans do we have here? All right, good. We got about most people rose their hands. The true sports fans gave a little clap over here. So we have some amazing uh, things going on right now. The World Series is going. Boston is up three to one. Any Boston fans? One. God bless you. Any Los Angeles Dodger fans? Let's have a moment of prayer because it's going to take a miracle for anything to happen there. But the real issue of division comes when you want to talk about the best NBA player in the history of the NBA. There's only one right answer to this, and it's Kobe Bryant. Is that heresy or what? <laughs> but we could, we could talk about division. And then there's, there's other things that divide us. Politics divide us. I'm driving down the street. People have these things with names on them, and they're waving. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to wave back? Like, it's the craziest thing because it's not like, like in Southern California where we're from. You just put the signs up and that's it. But here you have people waving at you. And I don't know if you're supposed to wave back like that's an agreement or are you just supposed to say good morning, aloha. <laughs> I mean, you, guys, you can share that with me that later, I guess. So, but that's, that's, politics are very dividing, especially right now with the midterm elections. If I said one word right now. It would be dividing. And you're all thinking about a different word. Because I'm just thinking of the word snowflake. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking about. I mean, <laughs> but that's how dividing politics can be. But that's how dividing our world can be. Our off-the-cuff comments can be dividing. How many of you have ever put your foot in your mouth? Raise your hand. You put your foot in your mouth. Okay. All right. So, being a guy, being a husband, I put my foot in my mouth, what, Kaz, every day? Every day. It's true. I'm just going to own it. When I was single and wasn't married and didn't have kids, I would say some of the most profound things. I would say things like, I would never, and I am never going to let my kids eat at McDonald's. I get married at the altar. Do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. I love you. I love you. Yay. Then we have one kid, then two kids, and three kids. And we're thinking, what are we doing? So we have three kids then. And then all of a sudden, McDonald's doesn't look so bad. <laughs> we go to the drive-thru there. Or we go inside, and they have a playground. You could let your kids play in the playground while you sit and rest. And I realized something. The Happy Meals make the kids happy. And so 
I don't, I'm okay with that. But before I had this dividing statement, like I would never do that. But what's interesting is now that my, that we are in these shoes here, they're completely different. I have a completely different perspective now. And now I'm more conscious of the things that I say because even something as simple as that can create some division among others. And so there's many different things that divide us. And we could go on and on and on and on and on and on about what divides us. But let, today let's focus on what unites us because that is so important. And so go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, the churches in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul is known as the author of justification by faith. And he is. But what's interesting is for every time, for every time the Apostle Paul talks about justification by faith, that, 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 that means that, that there's nothing we could do to earn our salvation. That there's six to eight other verses that talk about unity. So the Apostle Paul is uh, um, the author or the, the, the one that God inspired to use the phrase justification by faith, but Apostle Paul is also the author who has inspired us to talk about unity. And so the first three chapters talk about doctrine in Ephesians. That is like what we believe or what we teach. So doctrine would be like, for example, in Ephesians 2.8, that we're saved by grace through faith, this not of yourself, but is the gift of God so that no one may boast. The idea is that we're saved by grace through faith, justification by faith, because of what God has done, nothing on our own. That's doctrine. That's what we believe. That's what we teach. But then right over here in verse 4, the challenging part comes. The doctrine part, hey, that's fun. You could talk about that. You could discuss that. Lots of philosophical things to get into as well. But the, the difficult part is living it out. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because we're talking about unity. And when we talk about unity, it is not always easy. So the first three chapters are doctrine, and then the fourth and following chapters are about our responsibility as followers of believers of living it out. You know, a great display of unity was last night. How many of you were at the Harvest Celebration last night? Was that amazing? Give it up for that. So... We had 175 volunteers, 175 volunteers, and like a thousand or just under a thousand people in attendance. So some, you know, people from the church, a lot of people from the community, a lot of people from the school. It was just amazing to have it have it all there going on right here, and. The beauty is that 175 volunteers, that is unity. Was there miscommunication at times? I'm assuming so. I don't, you know, I don't know. I just got here. But <laughs> I'm assuming it was. <laughs> were, 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 were there, like, you know, things that didn't happen? I'm, I'm assuming there was. But here's the beauty of unity. They're working together. And they're working through their differences and maybe working through stuff that didn't happen or, you know, putting out fires or whatever the case may be, and to put on something to serve the community. It was amazing. So if you see Pastor Marie, let her know how much you appreciate her. If you see any of the volunteers who were there putting up with these crazy kids, 
known as Abigail and Lily and Hananiah, our three kids. Tell the volunteers, thank you. If you were a volunteer, thank you so much for serving. That is amazing. We had, our kids had so much fun. We, we, I texted Marie when we got home, and I said, hey, great event. It was amazing. I said, but there's, they brought back too much candy. <laughs> and I said, so I have to hide the candy. Any other parents hide the candy? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> or how many of you ate the candy? <laughs> wow, a lot of you. Okay, hey Okay. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do is look at Ephesians 4. And we're going to read uh, 16 verses. Now, we can't focus on all 16 verses. We're just going to, uh, we're just going to look at different passages here and there about these, uh, you know, uh, we're going to look at different uh, verses in here. But I want to just, I like painting the context, painting the picture. So when we get to these different passages, it kind of like highlights different areas. So verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord then, so... Apostle Paul is in prison, and he's writing about unity. That's kind of ironic if you think about it. He's in prison talking about unity. He wants people to be unified even though he's in prison. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Say the word unity, church. Say the word unity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants. Oh my gosh. Infants? I have an infant. Oh, man. Just sleep, Hananiah. Stay asleep. Anyways, okay. By the way, being an infant here is, is being an infant is amazing. It's awesome having an infant, except the sleeping part. But being an infant with the Apostle Paul is not a good thing. You following me here? All right. Stay on track, Brian. Got it. <laughs> then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Everyone say the word unity again. So unity depends on how we love. Now, uh, do me a favor. Say the word love again. Love. Oh, it's easy to say, isn't it? Love. So easy to say, love. 
And if someone asks us, <clears throat> do you love people? We'll say, yes, I love people. But sometimes it's difficult to love people. Let me share with you four, four qualities Paul lists. He says, first, we want to love people. we got to be humble. <clears throat> Are we humble at home? Are we humble with our employees, with our co-workers? Are we humble with our spouses, our loved ones, our significant others? Gentle. Are we gentle with everyone? Are we gentle at home? Are we gentle with others? Are we gentle with our friends and our family? Are we, are we gentle when we know nobody's going to find out? The other one is patient. Are we patient with people? If I were to ask your loved one, is your partner, I could pick on the guys, so I'll, ask, I'll ask the gals. If I, ask, if I ask all the wives, the girlfriends, whatever, hey, when is he the most impatient? What would they say? Now, I'm not going to ask you because I don't want you to ask my wife because she'll tell you all the stories. But if we're going to love others, we've got to be patient. And then, and then the Apostle Paul says, if you want to love others, then, then this is an interesting phrase. We need to bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. This, this, this phrase here speaks of the mutual tolerance without which no group of people could live in peace. Bear with one another in love. It's interesting that Paul also wrote the book to the church in Rome, churches in Rome. And in Romans 14 and 15, and you can read these later, what was happening is that you would have on this side, uh, this group here, you'd have had a church filled with just Jewish Christians. That was it. Then over here, you would have churches with just Gentile Christians, those who are not Jews. So, so, so if you're not a Jew and you're a Christian follower of Jesus, this is your church. And then there are people over here who love Jesus but weren't like those two groups, and they had a church here. At first glance, we go, oh, that's okay. Why not have churches like that? Imagine if we had churches like that today based on our interests. How many of you like surfing? All right. Two people would have a church here. Listen, it's going to start small, but hey, you're going to be strong. All right? It's okay. All right. How many of you want to start a church here based on your sports team? But it'd have to be your sports team. It couldn't, you know, it couldn't be like if you're a Boston fan and a, and a Dodger fan. Like you couldn't be in the same church. You'd be in a different church. So you, so you see how kind of ridiculous this gets. The, the more and more you you kind of played out. But here's what Paul says in Romans 14 and 15. He writes to all these churches here, and he says, "You have missed the point of what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is a family, and families have differences." And families have different backgrounds. Families have different cultures, different ethnicities. But yet what unites us is the cross. And so what he's talking to about these churches here is that you've missed the big picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. What they've done is they've taken their family and said, this is only our family here. Missing out on the bigger picture that everybody is a follower of Christ is part of of the family, that the kingdom of God is diverse and the kingdom of God is united because Christ is united. 
So unity depends on how we love. Let's say love again. Just say love. That's easy to say. Now, if someone steals from you, how easy is it to say, I love that person? Oh, it's easy to say, I love people. I love everyone. Peace. What if somebody lies and talks behind your back and spreads rumors? Can you say, I still love that person? I'm adding myself into this, too, because obviously the answer is it's a lot difficult. This love thing is great in theory, but it's difficult to live out. Jesus said something very profound that this is one of those passages that I've always wrestled with. He says this. He says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> really? Living for Jesus is not easy, is it? That is a powerful passage. And that passage is like, yes, Lord, I'm with you. The hard part is, can we do it? Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But unity, unity depends on how we love. Loving is easy in theory. Loving others is easy when things are going good. But loving others when things are not going good is what Jesus calls us to. So then we move to the second thought, that we can be unified because God is unified. We can be unified because God is unified. Here's what we see in verses 3 to 6. First, there is one body because there is one spirit. There is one body because there is one spirit. Then second, we see this in verse 4, that, that there is one hope, one faith, one baptism. And then in verse 6, we see this, that there is one family of believers because there is only one God the Father who is over all, through all, and in all. There's one family of believers. And this family of believers is imperfect. So we have a spiritual family and we have a biological family. Let's talk about biological families. I don't know about you, but biological families can sometimes be crazy. Anybody here have a crazy family? Let me just hear you. Yeah? Okay. We all have. All right. Can we admit today that we all have some type of craziness in our family? And some of it is us. It's not always the other person. Just, just so you all know. Okay. All right. And, and guess what? I have a crazy family as well. So growing up when I was a teenager... My dad worked a lot, but on the rare occasion that he would take us to school, we hated it. We were embarrassed. And here's why. He had an old Datsun B210, white Datsun B210, hatchback, two doors, and we'd be crammed in the back. And my dad would always, to this day, to this day, I've never seen him wear a T-shirt. And that's true. He always wore, I mean, he would wear shirts, just not T-shirts. <laughs> Anyways, he had a button-up shirt. But he would take us to school with this button-up shirt unbuttoned, his belly hanging out. <laughs> and as a teenager, <laughs> you're like, there's no way in the world I'm on base scene with this guy right here. This is, like, my dad, thinking as a teenager, my dad's the most embarrassing dad in the entire world. And my brother would be like, yes, 
my dad's most embarrassing dad in the world. And then our friends would be like, yes, your dad is the most embarrassing dad in the world. And then he would take us and he would drop us off. But we got smart. We'd say, hey, drop us off a block before school. We, yeah, we just walked there. We're cool with our backpacks on one shoulder. We got it, right? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait a minute. I'm a dad now. It's not just my dad, the most embarrassing dad in the world. I think it's all dads. And now that I'm a dad, I'm the embarrassing dad for my kids. And I guess as dads, any other dads who love to embarrass their kids or just do it naturally? Grandparents embarrass their kids? All right, you got it. So then you get married. And my crazy family here gets bigger. And I married, and I married into an Australian family. So they all talk like, good day, mate. <laughs> my Australian accent's horrible. And every time I do it, people are like, what is he saying? <laughs> it just, it's, just go with it. Pretend it's a good accent. So, so my wife, my, my wife um, uh, well, she's perfect, you know. And uh, then, then my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is perfect. Always got to talk high about your, you know, spouses and your loved ones. The father-in-law, not so much. Because my father-in-law, first time I met him, he was coming back on a walkabout. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just messing. But then you marry in, and then the family gets bigger, and it gets crazier. But you know what? Here's one thing that I've learned is that family is always there. It doesn't matter how crazy Uncle Bob is. That's family. It doesn't matter how crazy Aunt Sue is, whatever. That's family, and you stick together. My brother and I are complete different. We're, you wouldn't even realize he's my brother. Um, if you saw us next to one another, we're complete opposites, but we're there for one another. Why? Because we're family. Family's there. Family's crazy. Just let's own it. But here's the beauty about family. Families stick together. Healthy families stick together through the good times and through the bad times and through the embarrassing times. So when we talk about unity and when we talk about this passage here that there is, you know, one family of believers, we're talking about sticking through during the good times and the bad times. We're talking about working through those awkward conversations that you must have to get stronger. Because if all we do is have conflict and don't, res don't have any resolution, we stay here. And we can't grow through that conflict. And so my hope as we talk about unity and we see the importance of unity in the early church here is that you and I would be men and women who are committed to loving one another, working through our differences so that Christ could get the glory. Because when the church is divided, the world wins. We disagree on a lot of things. Everybody in here, look how diverse this group is. I love the diversity here. We will disagree on so many things from all different types of topics. And that's okay. Because what unites us is what Christ did for us on the cross. And when we talk to people, let's talk to one another in love. When we disagree with people, let's disagree with them in love. All you have to do is go to Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media platform you know how to use or you're on, and you'll realize there's a lot of division going on there. But are we talking to others in love in person? Are we talking to others in love online? And so we are your newest additions to this family, and we bring craziness with us. And believe it or not, I'm not perfect. My wife is. I'm not. 
mean, my kids cry over like which color popsicle the other one's eating because they want the Rabbi wanted the red one and Lily wanted the yellow one and it was reverse and it was like the world came to an end because of that. You all know what I'm talking about. All right. So when we talk about unity, verses 7 to 12, we must understand that unity is enriched by the diversity of our gifts. You and I have gifts that God has given to us. So in verse 6, Paul transitions from, from all of us. That, that, and, uh, from all of us, and he transitions to each of us. So he goes the big picture here, and then he goes to the individual, like every single one. So when we talk about this, it's, it's us. It's, it's, it's all of us. Let me just read one verse. So Christ gave uh, himself, uh, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that, so that the body of Christ may be built When you read the word ministry in the New Testament, most of the time it's referring to not the vocational pastor like myself or any of the other pastors on staff. When, you, when we read the word ministry in the New Testament, it's referring to everybody. And the restoration movement is the movement we're a part of. It's a beautiful movement. And one of the big themes is the priesthood of all believers in 1 Peter. The priesthood of all believers is this idea that we're all priests. We're all ministers. What did the priests do in the Old Testament? They were the ones who went to God on behalf of all the people. What that means in the New Testament to us today is that you and I are ministers of the gospel. Sure, I might have the title of lead pastor, but our movement and the scripture in 1 Peter talks about all of us being pastors. And so how does that change your thinking in terms of the needs of those around you? How does that change your thinking in terms of the needs of those right next to us? How does that change your thinking on how we treat one another? And so... As I have the privilege to lead this church, the privilege to partner with everyone, the privilege to get to know everyone, the privilege to have, I'm sure, many, 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 many good meals with one another. <laughs> I am encouraged, and I'm going to empower the congregation to live out the kingdom of God. And one thing you'll hear a lot from me is that God is not through with you yet. If the Bible is true, and it is, and the Bible's message of grace and restoration is true, and it is, then God is not through with us yet. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what happened the other day. But the cross is so powerful the redemption is so powerful that God loves us that much. When we understand the full extent of that love, here's what happens. Our natural response is going to be to turn from our sins and to follow and serve God. To follow and, and further the kingdom of God. And that is a message that is empowering for all of us. 
Because God has gifted every single one of us. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 talks about all these spiritual gifts God has given us. He has given us so many gifts. You have gifts. We have gifts. The, the, the question is, will we use the gifts God has given us? Not everybody has given uh, the gifts of uh, the beautiful voices we have here singing. You don't want me singing. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, you're stuck with me preaching, so I'm like, there you go. <laughs> and But some of you could sew. Some of you could, could love others in a way you can either do. I talked to a lady, and what she does, she visits people who can't come to church anymore. That's what she does. I love hearing these stories of what people are doing. It's just amazing. The question is, is what are the gifts you have? What excites you for the kingdom? And how will you live that out? That's the message of the cross. That's the message of redemption. And that's what I hope we can do with this church collectively, our church, is that we will be empowered to go and serve and follow the kingdom of God. Amen? So, last, to have unity, we must be willing to mature. Um, maturity is difficult because maturity requires us to look at ourselves and realize, oh, I don't have it all together. <laughs> Maturity realizes that we need to look at ourselves and realize, okay, it's time for me to change some things. It's time for me to grow up a bit. Maturity isn't easy, but we're called to mature in Christ. And part of that is working through these difficult issues. So when we talk about disunity, when we talk about issues going on, the same issues going on in our day to day about all the day of, of, of all the disunity and all the disruption going on today is happening in the first century. The, the early church, now think about this, the early church was just starting, brand new, just brand new, just, just, just starting. The Apostle Paul would get reports of what's happening. He would write letters to these different churches, giving them instructions and guidance, and these are the letters that we read in the New Testament. So he's giving them letters on, on how to live and all that. But what was happening? The devil was still trying to get in to cause dissension. The devil was still trying to get in to cause a break in unity because the devil knew if the church gathered and followed and furthered the kingdom of God, that his plans and his scheming could no longer work. And here's some, the three big areas that we read in the New Testament that was threatening the unity of the early church. Ethnic lines, social lines, political lines. Sounds like today, doesn't it? So how are we going to act as believers in Jesus? Will people know what Common Key Christian Church is about and I said that, I think, in July. Will they know what we are about? Will they know that we're about furthering the kingdom of God and loving people? Or will they know that we're against this and we hate this? Or will they know this is a place they could come if they're broken and they're sinners? So Christ urges for unity. Say the word unity. Say the word unity. And and, and with the idea of unity is that Christ is always at the center. Cross, the, the cross is always at the center. Now I'm going to close this message. I don't, you know, let me give a disclaimer here. Because <laughs> I've been watching the messages online for the past couple months. And Roy is a good preacher, isn't he? Ah, that guy. 
That guy, he was actually the president of the university when I was a student there. And um, I took him out to lunch when I was a student, but he doesn't remember, so I'm just holding, still, holding, still holding that against him. <laughs> I love Roy. He's a great man. And, um, but Roy knew how to close a message. Like, he had a powerful sermon that was just like, and the powerful ending. And, uh, and when we were watching the videos two weeks ago, you know, uh, 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 Pastor Ron and Dee were on the video, and then, and then Pastor Ron was joking around about, now you started this tradition, Roy, of like, you know, the congregation clapping after each sermon. And I'm thinking, Roy. <laughs> and I just said all these nice things about the Pope, you know? And I'm like, what the, I'm like, what's going on? Because <laughs> I called him the Pope, if you, in case you didn't get the video. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so, I'm going to tell you something. I don't have any funny concluding message like story that's like has this like poof, that leaves you just saying, oh my goodness, that was the best ending ever. Here's what I have. Get ready for it. A quick summary. Not exciting like Pastor Roy, but I wouldn't mind applause. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I can't believe I did that all three services. <laughs> Just no, I'm totally just kidding about it. <laughs> All right, here's my conclusion. Then we call Pastor Danny. Like, seriously, it's hold on, let me get my water and get that ready because it's about just done here. All right, you ready? What unites us over here is what unites us is Jesus. Say, Jesus. And it's his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's what unites us. So now here's the challenging part. How is that lived out? And the cheat sheet there is in the back of your program bulletin. The, the, the back of it is this. Here's how it's lived out. Number one, in loving others, even with people we disagree with. Everyone go, oh. Number two, understanding that God's very nature is unity. How is it lived out? Number three, using our gifts to bring unity. How is it lived out? Number four, it's lived out by maturing and growing up. And that's all I got. God bless you.